Hey everybody, thanks for listening in today. I am your host, Mark, and you are listening to the Mark Explains podcast. Uh, Ashlyn is stepping out uh, this time around as I got to interview in person a couple of great friends of mine right here in the Denver area. Uh, so today's episode is its going to be quite a bit different from our typical layout. It's episode 11. We're talking with two great friends of mine and entrepreneurs right here in the Denver area. They're both entrepreneurs. It's pretty cool. Uh, this podcast will not have the same feel as the other ones do. I wanted to keep the conversations as raw and real as I possibly could. Uh, so these are pretty straightforward. Um, at the first half, you'll, I get to interview a great friend of mine. His name is Justin Bizarro, and he is uh, an entrepreneur and has been in the food industry for like half of his life. It's, it, his story is so cool. But even more exciting... He recently launched a podcast uh, called Justin and the Food Entrepreneurs, uh, which can be found on Podbean and iTunes, also on iHeartRadio and Spotify and Google Play, all of those platforms. This guy is a podcasting machine. He's only been producing podcasts for like a few weeks, and he's about to release episode seven. Uh, That's crazy. You got to check him out, Justin and the Food Entrepreneurs. Um, In the second half of the this podcast, I get the distinct privilege of chatting with a great friend of mine, Nick Riggin. Uh, this guy is so awesome. He is uh, an entrepreneur right here in the Denver area and a personal trader, and he's 26 years old. He goes by No Toes Nick. That is his nickname, uh, which uh, is, as we will see, such a crazy and wild, incredible life story about how a, a simple accident, which seems simple at first, reframed his entire worldview. Uh, the story is so incredibly inspirational, and where he comes from as a human, I'm just so honored to be able to sit and chat with him. I know you're going to love his story and why he is called No Toes Nick. Um, Also, if you haven't yet, make sure to head on over to either iTunes or Podbean and subscribe to these bi-weekly podcasts. Um, And now, get this, uh, you can also find us on iHeartRadio and also on Spotify in the podcast sections. That's right. We are on all four platforms now. Now, obviously, iTunes is the most popular, but if you have an Android and you don't have podcast on your phone you can go to podbean and and download that app or you can also go to iHeartRadio and spotify and find us on there as well Uh, so that's pretty awesome make sure you also head over to instagram at mark.explains and facebook at facebook.com slash mark explains podcast for all of the most recent content um all right well thanks again for listening and and i hope you really enjoy uh today's episode episode 11 uh here on the mark explains podcast hey mark how are you what up justin i'm justin i'm a uh, an entrepreneur of sorts uh, related to food and um, Mark your your podcast is definitely an inspiration to me oh, and well, it, thanks and it's helped me connect some pieces in my life about how I want to share my life experiences as well as provide a platform to help people to spread the word and of food and throughout the world and how food can give people a better way of life and help people so my goals on being in here, and thank you for asking me to be on. Yeah, of course. Is to begin to to work with 
with you and understand podcasting, obviously, which is, you know, a whole new experience. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's it's a whole new experience for and, me. And, and it's really a whole new experience that entrepreneurs can use to get their message out and, uh, and be heard. Um, well, before we get into that, let's kind of give you some uh, merit and give you some personality because, you know, the, the podcast sphere, a lot of people don't know who you are and what you do. So let's kind of back up just a bit and talk about you. So like, who are you? Okay. I'm uh, <laughs> uh, a big question. Uh, well, tell there, us you, you, you there have was light and then there was Justin <laughs> the, uh, 4.2 billion years ago. Go, yeah. So, um, well, it, how about this? perfectly with your podcast. <laughs> I know. Right. Well, how about this? How about, let's say you have 120 seconds to, to give us a cliff notes synopsis of your life to how you got to this room here today. Um, it's pretty simple. I grew up in food. Uh, my father was in the food business and became a, a food entrepreneur himself in 1998. I was uh, 18 years old and off to college then, and my family went through quite a transition then. Uh, I saw my father um, transition his life to be a food entrepreneur and change the way he lived his life and, and the way he answered to things and, and started doing things because it was good for him and, and good for the people around him and, and live his dreams and his way of leading people and helping people. And I caught on to it and it was inspirational to me. Hmm. Um, I honestly said, I will, I love what he's doing, but I will never work with him or for him. But <laughs> what type of food years, was he in? Five years later, I'm, I was in the business. <laughs> so, what type of food was he doing or what type of uh, business was he running? Um, he started off doing uh, meals for hospitals in California, um, all across Northern California. And that was the first location. And now Food Service Partners, uh, we have uh, four different locations across the country and, and are on the verge of adding two more. Um, so we are a growing business, um, and over the years have had different subsidi subsidiaries and stuff like that throughout food. Um, so my story in that is I tried other things after college, and I was between jobs, and I decided to help out uh, at one of the locations that uh, in Roanoke, Virginia, as it was opening, and it just caught on. And how I've long always ago? Been, how long ago was that when you uh, decided? Two thousand three. So it's been a few years. It's been many years. Yeah. And uh, I, I just took interest, and I've always been entrepreneurial in ways, whether it was creating a business to mow people's lawns and, and fields and make money that way, or getting into fruit stands as a kid and, and running for fruit stands and uh, organic farm and, and all of that when I was in high school. And then in college, I just picked up on it very quickly, and and it just stuck. And I've always had the creative interest to go out and do something, um, but as we'll, we'll learn, as we talk, the failures are, are definitely there to, to learn from. It wasn't yeah. just, oh, my father did it or, and I can do it or whatever. I mean, even 18 years later, I've watched him have failures that he's learned from, which hmm. has been hugely helpful, but also my own failures. Hmm. So, so you haven't, I mean, you've been in the food business in the food world since 2003, but you've also had other things going on. Um, other businesses. Do you <clears throat> talk to us a little bit about that and how those roles kind of played into your life and uh, how they've 
developed and how they've collapsed and, and like how that's made you the person you are. Yeah, so from the age of two, um, I took interest in, in, in work and, and manual labor, or any kind of work I could do and, and money and, and whatever. And it's, it's interesting to say, but I always understood from a very young age that hard work and work led to money. And with money, I could buy what I wanted to. I didn't have to wait for my parents to tell me yes or no. But the more I earned, I, I sort of could lead my own path, which can be dangerous, by the way. But um, from the age of two, I started driving the lawnmower. Hmm. I mean, I would have to have my parents start it and hit go. <laughs> and I knew I just had to turn off the key. But by the time we moved to Maryland at age four, four I was mowing the lawn myself. And, hmm. and you know, my parents quickly explained to me that they own the tractor, they own the gas. What I get paid for is after all of that's been paid for, they give me the difference just for my labor. So hmm. I started understanding business and the inner workings of it from a very young age. Um, growing up on a farm, my mom ran her own business. So that was always prevalent in my life. And once I went to middle school, I went about 25 miles away from home to middle school to near where my dad's office was. And that's before he became his, his own owner of a business. Um, I would go and he was an executive there and I would sit in on meetings and do my homework and just took a huge interest in food. And so yeah. from there and from mowing fields and lawn mowing and taking an interest in money, I quickly, you know, as soon as I could drive a car was out trying to find other jobs while there's running fruit stands, uh, during the summers, uh, for them and, um, or, and then connecting an organic farm to them that, had lots of stuff going to Whole Foods, but they had a lot of leftover product they, that Whole Foods didn't want back then. And uh, so we're hmm. talking 96, 1996 through 1998. And even back then, I saw the opportunity for that waste to go out to the street. So it's something hmm. I worked with um, with people and farmers to, to get out there. Uh, so that's where it all started. Food wasn't my passion. It was soccer, but for whatever reason, food came naturally. So I didn't appreciate it as much, um, as soccer because I had to work hard at it. Yeah. Um, and that being said, I think that's a lot of people's story with food is it's come so naturally, but then getting your idea off the ground and, and becoming an entrepreneur and self-reliant and sufficient, it, it's hard. It, it, people don't realize the ups and downs and the tolls it takes on the people around you. But, you know, ultimately, um, by hard work, again, you can achieve your dreams, I believe. And that, you know, that's what we do in this country. But that's a lot of countries. We You work hard and your dreams can come true, whatever those are. What was your first, uh, what, what, what was your first entrepreneurial launch, your first business that you can remember that you, that was, that you would consider an actual, like an actual business? Uh, when I was in college, I did, um, I got involved in, online marketing and promotion of electronics through a website and launched a website that was called Millennium Bridge. <laughs> and uh, it was around 1999 to 2000. So Y2K and software and all that stuff was pretty, uh, pretty prevalent back then. Everyone was afraid the world was going to collapse. I remember and, that. And so, you know, while it was a good business and I worked hard, um, I soon learned that and the electronics were a very crowded industry. And 
I loved it and I love electronics and electronic toys as, as who I am, but as selling it and stuff, I really got a dosage of sales is a tough business and it takes a lot of time. And for me to go into it without any previous real experience other than selling people lawn mowing services or fruits on a stand where you've already pretty much got them sold because they need it, convincing people they need a Y2K software or a, a phone that that is holds all their contacts, which back then was a little bit of a new thing. Yeah. And uh, so it was tough. I did did decently and um, and got out of it through a, a purchase uh, right around the 2001-ish time. And uh, so it was about almost two years, I guess, that I was involved in that. And it was a good thing. It was more lessons than not, more hardship than not and um it wasn't a really uh giving up as a, in i knew it wasn't the right business for me and mm. so i took a step back and did that um and as i graduated from college i got involved with a friend in wisconsin and businesses he was launching uh related to short-term loans and stuff mm. like that and that whole business that boomed in the midwest as you know and yeah. title loans um and I did that for a while, but again, it wasn't, my entrepreneurial spirit was there, but it wasn't the right business that felt good for me. Right. You know, I think a lot of people get involved because they see an opportunity. You know, the marijuana business in Colorado is a good one. Everyone's jumping in because they think there's a buck to be made. But is that really what you're passionate about? Do you believe in the products you're selling, hmm. you know? And so I got two hard lessons right up front that I wanted to do it, but it, my passion wasn't there. So mm. um, getting involved in, in launching those businesses was was an, a growing experience for sure and a learning lesson, but it wasn't true to me. Mm. And I didn't know it was true to me then. I just knew those weren't. Right. You know, it was sort of by accident that I ended up in a food refrigerator, you know, doing cost analysis on inventory, you know, for my father, cause he needed someone to do it and it just stuck. And, yeah. and, um, now how, how long was your father in that business before you kind of jumped in in 2003? Well, he had been in the food business for actually Marriott and Caterer, which is now Sky Chefs, uh, since 1984. So 84 to 96, 97 time period he had worked for, Marriott and then Caterer until Caterer was uh, sold to Sky Chefs. And then from there in the summer of 1998 is when he launched Food Service Partners. Um, and that was doing hospital food mainly then. Uh, we're in a plethora of different businesses now and opportunities, but that's where it all started. Him and a business partner from Caterer uh, named Bob Dunn um, launched food service partners in the summer of 1998. Hmm. So, and that's the business that's still running today? That is the business that's still running today that I am currently involved in as the executive director of business development. Yep. Hmm. That's my that's my main job. <laughs> but as an entrepreneur, everyone knows that one Pod, business is podcaster good is yeah, yeah. Podcaster is in a close second. <laughs> yeah, you're always looking for something new. Oh, yeah. Sometimes you shed some businesses and there's always room for more. You're always looking for an opportunity for sure. Oh, yeah. So have you, obviously, you know, the, the entrepreneurial spirit has been with you since, uh, you know, you were, you know, a, a, a toddler, a kid. 
and you, you started and ran a couple of businesses. You were kind of in and out of them. Um, like what lessons do you feel like, the, like what did that teach you in the process of becoming who you are today? I mean, because you, you gain some things, you lose some things, you have to be able to shed some skin as you go. Like what, what, what did that teach you? Like, what did that turn you into? Well, number one, uh, you learn very quickly that, um, you see overnight successes in, in other entrepreneurs or other people, but those, uh, those overnight successes are actually years upon <laughs> years of work and understanding and, and in some cases education and sometimes you know trial and error hmm. uh, that was one of the things I learned very quickly is I thought I could just do it and I would you know there's was Microsoft was booming at the time and Yahoo and Google and there was these overnight internet successes and, and musicians that suddenly blew up and you think wow they did it but what you don't see is all the years of effort and 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 errors and and failures they had along to get yeah. there. So yeah, I think it was actually. The, I, I remember watching a documentary. And I can't remember the band that was on there, but they said an overnight success takes about ten years. Yeah, and I, it's interesting you say that because one of the things around that time that really starts sinking in is I read a thing on the Beatles, and everyone's like, "Oh, they came out of nowhere and became these superstars," but they did well over ten thousand hours in clubs in Germany hmm. and. And just to practice and get it down. So by the time we saw them, you know, they were a fine-tuned machine and yeah. had traded drummers and had a band member die of a brain aneurysm, I believe. And so there's trials and, and hardships that go along with that, that, you know, that got them where they were. It wasn't <clears> just <throat> an easy thing. So being able to pivot became a huge learning lesson. Yeah. And not taking the failures as... A reflection of myself and letting it get me down or, or beat me down. It was just, hey, you know, I didn't do this right. This is a learning lesson. Let's keep moving forward. And well, I think it's really important because you also see like we as humans tend to judge ourselves in our current state um, and we tend to judge others by the perception. And yep. so you see the Beatles, this overnight sensation of what it appears. And you're like, I've been at this for four years. I can't believe that I'm not there yet when they literally popped out of nowhere, but you don't see the story. You don't see the past 10 years, the, the, the band member that died, the jump, the drummers, like that stuff's hard. Yeah. We don't see that. And so I think it's a good life lesson within itself is, is to be, to be kind to yourself and to yeah. be patient because even though it feels like you're not necessarily there yet, wherever there may be, you're, you're judging yourself very strongly because you, you are in with yourself, but you don't see the hard work and the effort that's gone in for others. Oh, exactly. And, and that brings me to my next point of what I learned early on. And it still takes me years. And I got to remind myself is that I really took a lot of people's opinions to heart as what I was doing wrong or who I am or you know, that uh, it was a bad idea and some of my entrepreneurial thoughts and, and when they didn't support me or people I respected didn't jump on board, I took it personally or didn't pursue them right away like I should have. And it's taken me years to understand that really a negative opinion is the fuel for the fire. And, and if you use it that way, it can you can use it as proof for yourself um, to to that, hey, they may not believe in it, but I can go use this and I can prove it to them in in a way by just 
using my actions to go do it. And I think there's a lot of entrepreneurs out there or people that want to be entrepreneurs that get caught up in that everyone else's opinion, Hmm. you know, or that if it doesn't blow up instantly on Facebook and Instagram, they're failing, you know, you know, just because a person has 10 million likes on Facebook doesn't mean they're a profitable entrepreneur. They may just be selling something or boosting their posts or buying their likes, you know, so. Well, and on the opposite end of that spectrum where you get, let's say a podcast like mine, where I'm, I'm sharing it and via Instagram or Facebook, I'm not getting a lot of response. And that's, that's hard for me because I'm like, I f- I'm putting my heart and soul into this. And, and I'm feeling like, man, no one's seeing it. But then I'll actually look at the numbers on Podbean or in, in iTunes. And it's, it's getting more traction than I think it is. But it's, I think it's on the other side of that. Just because people are getting tons of exposure doesn't mean it's great. And just because people are getting less exposure doesn't mean it doesn't have good content to give. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, I mean, we're looking at this in, in Georgia right now. We've been in the business. We're an established company with proof and years of expertise, and mm-hmm. we can deliver no matter what. But we're still three and a half years down the road trying to launch a project in Georgia as it's a public-private partnership. But people are like, why don't you just give up, and why don't you just walk away? Well, Why? I'm going to see it all the way through Mm -hmm. no matter what the result is. And I'm not going to be the one to pull the plug, you know, because I believe in the project and I believe that it's the right thing to do, not only by me, but by, for the entrepreneurs in Georgia and uh, the people of Georgia and the farmers of Georgia. So, you know, if I were selfish and totally self-motivated, maybe I would walk away because it does cost money to go there all the time. But it's not about that. It's about, if you make a difference and you're passionate about making that difference, you know, things can work out. I truly believe that. It doesn't always, I've made a lot of mistakes. I've had businesses that didn't do well. I've had businesses that have done well. I've been involved in it and had good business partners and bad business partners. And sometimes the bad business partners are in the business that is doing really well and being really profitable. And the great business partners are the business you can't seem to get off the ground to save your life. And so... You know, that's just life happens. But I, you know, the, the third thing on that point is that trust in your relationships and openness and honesty, authenticity and vulnerability are all important parts of any partnership, whether it's with your clients, whether it's with your vendors, whether it's with your employees and or it's a partner that you have in a business, mm-hmm. you know, those relationships need to be genuine and there needs to be trust, Hmm. um, which I learned on the farm, you know, with horses, you've got to earn their trust and they've got to earn yours. It's not just right off the back. You should trust someone because of my years of experience, you know, that doesn't matter. You know, I still have to earn it and you and people should, it it should be, you know, a dance and getting to know each other and building trust and relationships and, and vendors. And they're more than just, I'm paying someone. I'm also, you know, need to make sure that they can take care of their employees and the people around them and, and that they're the right people I want to work with. They may Mm. have the cheapest price, but that doesn't always mean that I want their product. And in food, you can see it in farming practices. Are they doing the best farming practices that meet what I want to deliver to my customers? Cheap and price don't always matter. Making money matters because you want a profitable business, but it doesn't matter at the sake of not delivering good quality, honest quality to your customers and your clients. So 
why then you now have this desire to venture into a new uh, kind of this this new chapter in your entrepreneurial life. You have a solid stance on what you're doing uh, in the food world. You kind of have an idea of where you want to go. You're kind of launching some new pro- projects. I'm, I would I bet that you probably have a dozen ideas in the back of your mind on things you want to do related to food. But now you're launching this new podcast. And this is kind of I mean, it's all interrelated. It's all connected. But what, like, what is your purpose? And I mean, because this podcast could possibly have a platform that that reaches much further than just general social media or yeah, than PR typically, because a podcast can literally reach continents in in minutes. And so, what's your goal here? Because now you're launching this whole new podcast. Like, why? Why would you do that? Well, the podcast, it'll be called Justin and the Food Entrepreneurs, is basically a journey through many different food entrepreneur stories. And those stories and failures are to basically get a message to the world that you're not alone in your food entrepreneur endeavors and that it is hard and that failures happen. And the experiences we have, if we can share them on a platform such as a podcast, I believe it can benefit everyone. And when people share information and it's free and easy to get to at a rapid rate, such as a podcast, it helps people in their everyday life. Hmm. And so for me, I know what I've, what I've gone through to get here and, and I'm still struggling every day. There are days that I want to give up, you know, I've have a frustrating day, but you know, having, the ability to relate to other people and what they're going through keeps me going. Hmm. And so I want to share that with everyone. And I want everyone to see that they're not alone in their endeavors. And this is hard, but also that if they can learn from one another at a rapid rate with versus just having to make their own failures all the time, we that's a thing to, to look at. And not to mention, we have food deserts all over the world. And there is knowledge and, and basis all over the world where people can can get take from this podcast and other people's experiences and apply that to their communities or learn from what food entrepreneurs are doing in, in different spaces and help build microeconomies in their own home. So you're you looking know, for food entrepreneurs all over the world? All over the world. And I'm a firm believer that you know, exporting food is great, but exporting knowledge is better because mm. I'd rather give people the ability to make their own mosquito nets in Africa than sell them the mosquito nets. Why? Because it, why not? It, it It's better for the world. And well, you, you create know, a dependency when you do that as well. Like if I give them if I, if I give them mosquito nets, they're going to then depend on us to keep giving them mosquito nets. And that's not beneficial to humanity and to humankind. To teach is to show love. Yeah. Like you can show the world that you love them by teaching them the survival skills they need. Yeah. And then people would ask maybe why don't you go build the factory there and employ them and that's still helping them? Well, in a way it is. But in a way, it's not like, okay, I could go say I'll invest in their business and I'll help give them my knowledge and consult them. But what I want is them to be able to run it on their own. They, When they take ownership of it, they become more passionate mm. about it because that's who they are. If they came to, 
came to us in the first place or they needed help, then I want to give that to them. I'm not going to take it away or look at, hey, well, you know, this is my idea and I want to make money off it. Well, ideas are kind of a funny thing, right? Mm -hmm. So, you know, if we can better the world through food and, and through a podcast like this, then great. You know, I think we can share it. And I'm not the only one with a story. I, there's people all over that have stories that 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 matter. And we can use food in our communities all over the world to, to build businesses. And we just need to figure out how to do it. And every country's got different governance and all that and how they businesses run and how you start a business and the loopholes you got to jump through. But at the foundation, you know, we all learn that it's not actually just about food. We've got to learn accounting on the fly. We've got to learn marketing through a fire hose. We've got to learn legal stuff through a fire hose and HR rules and, and 401ks in, in the United States and all of these things. But if we can share those experiences, people don't necessarily have to go through that hardship and we can grow businesses faster and we can diversify. And if other countries grow food and become popular, there are things we can't grow here in the United States. You know, if they grow it there, there's a possibility that maybe we do bring it here. You know, I'm all for sustainability and locally grown, uh, and I believe it's the way to do things. But there's also things that come out of food, um, byproducts and stuff like that, that can be beneficial. You know, I'm always like, how haven't we figured out how to use byproduct of food for fuel i mean they did it in back to the future he <laughs> drops the banana and the delorean and it's all a little bit of beer yeah <laughs> i mean there's it's got to happen someone's got to be there and so you know how can we start connecting the pieces i'd give give it away at this point if someone did it mm -hmm. you know because i'm like okay this is a real thing who's gonna think of this you know and it's a renewable resource because food grows and we eat it and throw it out circle you know? of life yeah so if you could, I'm going to ask you kind of a, a meta question here, okay? Yep, yep. Uh, if, if, you could, if you could tell the entire world one thing, food-related or not, if you, if, if, you could, if, if you could tell them one thing and the entire world wouldn't just hear you, but they would listen, like, what would you tell them? Because, like, w w you're launching your podcast, and people are going to people are going to listen to this. People are going to tune in to and hear what you have to say. And if the the first 25 30 minutes so far has gone on fallen on deaf ears, but they tune into this one thing, what would you say? We are in charge of our own destinies. And if we fail as human beings, it's no other one's fault but our own. That's that's the way I feel. We have resources at our fingertips, we just have to choose to use them. In some countries, obviously, that's harder than others. And But we can take what we know, and everyone knows food in some way or another, and we can apply it. And it may not be food. Maybe I'm like, okay, I don't want to be in food, but I want to be an accountant. Well, okay, you want to be an accountant, but you need someone in your village or your town to go do food because then you can be an accountant for the food. So we want to encourage this type of environment and everyone needs to eat. There's no reason that this can't be the basis to build economies. And, you know, we've had different revolutions. We had internet technology recently in, in our lifetime and that boom, but we're food is, is revolutionizing. We are getting back to the basics of where food should be and, and not making it an industrial thing and then making it more of, 
you know, local in our communities and, and part of our lives and farmers markets. And, you know, we're starting to get there, but we need to embrace it. You know, one of the things that that I hear all the time is, you know, energy and we need to be more renewable with our energy. Do you have any idea how much fuel we use when we eat blueberries from Chile in the United States? <laughs> Think about it. Well, I have no idea. I'm going to I'm going to be all for renewable energy, but I'm going to buy my bo- blueberries from Chile. That makes no sense, right? Yeah. It's not logical. So, we need to support our local business people, our local farmers, and unfortunately, because we don't do that so much, farming's even become industrial and big companies are buying farms and they run them and more well, so there's nothing local, wrong with this. But buy local buy from your local farmers market because you're not only helping your neighbor you're per, you are promoting sustainability yeah and i'm not saying don't buy from your grocery store don't well, i mean a lot of grocery stores buy from local farmers exactly and yes is it more expensive of course it is right now because it's so much cheaper to to ship stuff because we don't demand it as human beings yeah. you want it to be cheaper it's an economic problem demand more of it and the supply will go up and the price will go down. Yeah. You know, so there's the supply out there. There's plenty of farmers that would switch to to it or, or grow more variety of products instead of selling their whole farm and one product a year to, to whoever. We just need to encourage it. We, you know, really, I heard the greatest thing ever. It's we speak through every dollar we spend. So it matters. Mm. We want to make a change. The destiny is our own. That's really good. We need to you know, put our money where our mouth is really. And we want to make a change and and we can have different political views all day long, but you know, you need to really live the way you believe is best for your children and your children's children for the future. And that is, we need to start this now. You know, we, we want opportunities and we want growth and, and stuff like that. We need to create jobs and creating jobs comes through being entrepreneurs and creating jobs also comes from supporting your local economies. You know, Detroit, I think Detroit's a, a place that's just ready for greenhouses of food, just ready for people to come in and do it and create jobs for the people that can't get jobs that where the auto industry went down the tubes. We've got abandoned warehouses and car factories and housing developments. Let's just, let's figure out a way to use it. And they need to eat there. There's still people there and it's hard to grow food there all year round because of the weather. There's other ways to do it, and people just got to be willing to do it and gain the knowledge and believe in themselves. Hmm. You know, I'm not just going to start food because I know it. I I still learn every day. There's things I learn every day that blow my mind. Like in Georgia, bees work year round. Who knew that bees didn't actually ever work year round? You know, that's one or two that why they're, it's a special place they grow your own. There's some advantages there. They should be growing a lot more pollinated plants, you know, the corn and soybeans and all that. That's great. But hey, there's we can grow a whole different abundance of food there that hmm. related to that. And and honey, and there's entrepreneurs there that are realizing this, that bees, bees are year-round and farmers, and they're working together in their entrepreneurism, like I want to do with this podcast, is it's also the ability to people to hear each other and ideas and entrepreneurs benefit from entrepreneurs. There's a a honey company or many honey companies in Georgia that are right in the farms growing the, the vegetables and the produce or the fruits. And one gets the honey out of the deal. The other one gets the pollination. Yeah. That's a free transaction. Yeah. But yet, you know, 
they both benefit. They both can go out. The farmer doesn't want to go grow honey, and the honey person doesn't want to grow fruits and vegetables. So, okay, there's a perfect synergy there. And it doesn't have to be an exchange of money, really. And that's something we've been doing with food forever, Hmm. you know. You know, I believe a lot of the world still barters for food. I'll grow this, you grow that, I need this today, and you need that, or hunting, or whatever, and they trade services. A lot of the world still lives that way, Um, but there's opportunities there, and there's food in the world that is hugely healthy and nutritious that we don't even, we haven't even scratched the surface because it's not as easy to industrialize it. Yeah, so creating that network this podcast has the ability to create a network to connect those entrepreneurs because connection is what helps everyone grow. Exactly. And that's huge. That's huge. Not only in just the regular podcast world, but the entrepreneurial world alone. That's huge. Yeah. So it's something, I mean, I'm not looking for anything for it. I'm merely looking for one because I'm curious and I love entrepreneurs and talking to them. So it's my own curiosity also, but it's also that I know from my own experience that if I would have had a platform or a place to go get knowledge or hear people speak about their experiences easier than than waiting for a trade show or waiting till I just happen to meet the right person or when someone's available, that you know things could have saved me time and money. But I also could have spent more time bettering the lives of the people around me. Hmm. You know, because sometimes you get so caught up in an entrepreneur of the day to day and the dollars going in the till that you forget about the people that are around you supporting you what you do and and being appreciative of them and helping them grow. You know, so that's what I'm you know, I want to help people grow. I want people to succeed. And I want, especially in the United States and and the countries that are are culturally trying to figure out how to move forward or, or grow an economy or or build an economy period that the most basic thing we can do is feed ourselves mm, yeah. it's a necessity we don't create air we don't create water it's just there but food we can grow we can grow animals we can you know we can be a part of that system it's there it's just are we willing to and But that also means that when we spend our own dollars, we need to support those people. You know, it's one thing for me to talk about and say, this is the way to go. But you need to support these people. These people are working hard, you know, and we've gotten used to a chain system and everything's chained. And I have no problem with the way things are done. But it doesn't always need to be that way if we don't want it to be. Hmm. And uh, so if you're... If, if there is an entrepreneur out there in the in the food industry in any capacity, whether you are making food, if you're launching your own uh, meals that can be delivered, or if, if you have ideas, if you run food blogs, if you're in the food industry in any capacity, like what would you want to tell those individuals about like what this podcast could be for them? Well, I want them to learn from each other. You know, I may be an expert in food production as I know it in co-packaging and hospital meals and and food for schools and stuff like that. But there are plenty of people that have experiences in various avenues that they can learn from each other. So one, come forward and share your story. 
So you want to have them here on this podcast? I want to have them here on this podcast. I want their stories to be mm. front and foremost. That's, like, that's cool. You know, and the more stories we have, the more knowledge that gets passed back and forth because experience is everything. You can get educated all day long. I don't disagree. It's a, it's a good foundation, but you don't learn as much as you do in your experiences mm. in life. And, um, and that's because you're living it and because the hardships that we go through are the things that you know, make us who we are, but they also help us grow. You know, um, I heard a great saying the other day, it's AFCO, you know, uh, uh, it's another fucking growing opportunity (laughs) because, you know, every time something goes bad, I want to throw my hands up there. I'm like, why now? You know, why I'm just about to get somewhere, but business is really about three, four steps forward, two steps backwards. You know, you, for every couple steps you take forward, you do take some backwards, but pivoting is making sure that you always have one or two steps ahead of those failures. Yeah, and um, and and having as many options as possible, and and being flexible, and and not getting caught up in the failure, but getting caught up in the failures ability to teach you as an individual or your employees or or whoever. You know that's important. Yeah, you know? I think there's a big difference between failing and being a failure exactly yeah and and i think if we get caught up too much in the failures and and how bad they make us we rob ourselves of our own dignity to learn from them Hmm. and and we do that you know there's a lot of times i'm my own worst enemy you know because i can get caught up in something i did wrong or failed at or should have known better you know it's great to say that hindsight but hey like we sometimes I suck. It just happens. Yeah. You know, I can't, you know, I can do my best and the imperfections are what's beautiful that make us who we are. If we were all perfect, we wouldn't have any way of connecting. You know, the movie inside out by Disney is one of those. Sometimes you need sadness in order to have happiness. That movie because, changed my life. Yeah, <laughs> it was I mean, so like, good. It, it freaking blew me away. I had yes. to watch it like 20 times because I mean, more and more I understood what happens and in business that's why sometimes your islands collapse in your head and you need to build new islands and it's okay to be sad and down for a day or two but you need to pick yourself up and go do something about it and learn from it and and move forward and that's hard for me sometimes sometimes i can get caught up in it and so it's easy to get caught up in what looks like a failure i mean i for example there's actually a really good friend of mine um uh, that I haven't seen in a long time, but I, I this uh, this guy was actually uh, how he was born was his mom was living on the streets, and uh, he his birth his birth was the result of a twenty dollar prostitution transaction, and his mom uh, got pregnant and she thought her life was over, and ended up adopting the the kid him, uh, and he went into the adoption. Uh, he went into the foster care system and it was terrible, but then ended up, ended up reuniting with his mom later. And now he is a motivational speaker speaking in front of millions, literally millions around the world every, every single year, um, through his story that the failure, what looks like a failure, the thing that you, that you think is going to ruin you literally turned into one of the biggest world changing things that you can think of. And I think that's, that's a perfect example of what, what you're talking about, the failures through entrepreneurship, which you feel like this is it. I'm, it's over my life. Like the, uh, my dreams are over can be the very thing can be the very launching pad yeah. that takes you into that next level. 
Yeah, I have a good friend. Um, he's a real estate lawyer, and he's launched his own real estate firm in in New York. And his father was heavily into finance and and financing taxicab medallions in New York. And 2007, 2008 hit, and it crushed him. Hmm. And one of the things he came and said, and, and Pierre, my friend, uh, told me is that back to the basics. When things go really bad or you're upside down, you need to go all the way back to the most basic thing of everything because hmm. that's where we can rebuild. And I applied that in my life. Um, you know, 2014, I was involved in a professional sports team that failed. There was no doubt about it. The whole thing was a disaster, you know, and um, you learn a lesson very quickly about throwing good money after bad money, but you know, you want to support it and want to see it through. But at the same time, I started going through a divorce and, you know, you've just got to say, okay, my life is not what it used to be. Hmm. And I, I can either feel like I failed at all of it, or I can really assess all of it and looking at it as opportunities, go back to the basics and rebuild, hmm. you know, rebuild myself, rebuild my businesses, rebuild anything that I can and, and find opportunity in things. And sometimes if we're open-minded enough, the opportunities are there. We just need to see it. Hmm. And, you know, so lessons are always learned. I had been in food for, I don't know, over 10 years by then and had a lot of successes, but there were some failures right in a row there that that had me pretty down for a while. And, and I was pretty upset and, and didn't know how to rebound. And, um, but it takes time and it took me, you know, took me talking to people and it took me meeting the right people in my life and, and, and the willingness to start over and rebuild, you know, you need that attitude that you need to work no matter what. And, and some of it is, okay, well, I don't have an idea right now, so I'm just going to give back. I'm going to help people or, or do whatever, and I'm going to live a better way of life. And, you know, that's rewarding enough to, to build back confidence and to, you know, start to open up your yourself to the ability to, to restart something. And, you know, not everyone's an entrepreneur, but I can tell you what separates entrepreneurs from everyone else is the willingness to fail mm-hmm. and, and not let it drag you down. Um, so if, let's say, for example, there's an individual out there, which I can guarantee you that there is a person listening to this right now that they want to start, they have an idea and it's good and they're starting down that road, but they, they're crossing that fork in the road. They're at that pivoting point and they're afraid to pull the tr- trigger because they're afraid to fail. The fear of failure is almost more crippling than anything else in this process. Like, what would you say to those people? Well, I'd say they're not alone and not only in the entrepreneurial world, but in life, like how many people (laughs) are, are, are fearful to do something because they're afraid of rejection or failure. You know, it was my whole high school. (laughs) You know, I mean, it's really the way it is. I mean, I know it. I've, I was, uh, there's plenty of things that I, it takes me forever to take the smallest step on something sometimes, you know? And I, I have to remind myself, hey, you know, I just got to get the first step in front of me. Yeah. You know, it's why all sorts of programs that are step programs work. You just got to get there, you know. And um, but from an entrepreneurial standpoint, you know, you can 
you know, some people are more risk adverse than others, right? I'm, I'm not quite that way. I, I've learned that no matter what, there's risk in everything. Yeah. And if you don't do it, the answer is always no. If you don't ask, the answer is always no. Like, guaranteed, great, that's awesome. But, you know, it's like the kid who wants to ask the girl out at school. Like, if you never ask, it's always no. You've never done it, you know? So go do it. Find out. You don't have to bet the ranch on it right now. Mm -hmm. But you can begin to explore it and, and take small steps towards it. And some of it, you know, some businesses I've launched on a whim, you know? Other ones I have to put in tons of work. And there's a balance between it, really, as I've learned that you need to, you need to vet it, you need to have the right people, you need to make sure you flesh out the idea, not only to yourself, but other people. And if you really believe in it, don't let other people's negativity run your fear. Hmm. You know, you can't let it drive the car, but you can't put it in the trunk either. And by by that, I mean, that negativity can be used as fuel to, to drive your, your dreams, but you also don't want to let those, um, that negativity m cripple you and let it steer your brain wherever it goes, because that's the worst thing we can do. You know, we as human beings have so much to offer to everyone around us and yet our lives are hard and it sucks and we have bad shit happen. L like I know, like some of us have worse shit than others, but a toothache to you may hurt more than it hurts me, but we both have a toothache. Yeah. And so how do we take that and know that it's not about who has it worse or who has it better. It's about how can we help each other and food and entrepreneurs. We need to understand that I'm that if I don't ever get that idea and I don't ever put it forward, I can't help anyone, including myself. Hmm. But if I put through an idea and I chase it through, it may just work. I may change jobs. I may change people's lives. Mm. You know, look at the, I can't remember the name of the shoe company, right? Tom's. Tom's, you know? yeah. Like they change lives. They give shoes away, you know, for every person that buys it. It's it's not exactly a model I would use, but, but it's... It's something that, hey, he chased it and it's been successful for all intents and purposes. And shoes are, are going to places that need it. And it's become somewhat of a, a fashion trend here and there. And obviously, trends go up and down. Mm -hmm. But again, I, I love the model. I don't feel it solves a long-term problem. But, you know, it is is there, you know. Um, yeah. so, so what would you say to, um, let's say, a, a, an entrepreneur or a person who has launched a business or maybe even two and failed miserably and they feel like there's just no drive left in them. Well, I, there's hope because those failures, you're farther along than, than other <laughs> entrepreneurs. Let me tell you from my own experiences, um, God, growth happens in those failures in life. And, you know, sometimes as humans, we're resistant to growth. We hold on to all dear life to what we have and, and what's right now and what we're comfortable with. And we, we get stagnant. I heard this great story the other day where he was the boss. He was the head honcho of a, a big Fortune 500 company. And he retired. And all of a sudden, he all the people that he thought was his friends were, no, were nowhere to be found. They didn't care about him. Hmm. They didn't care. These relationships were superficial because great, he made all this money, he he led them. 
but he didn't inspire them. He didn't care about them on an individual basis. He cared about how they worked, Hmm. you know, And, and we don't, you know, it's, oh, the job is the job and the home's the home and we separate that. No, it doesn't have to be that way anymore. We don't have to live that way. We can start businesses and and learn from our failures and pass that on to other people. And maybe I have someone that works for me that doesn't want to be entrepreneur, but that doesn't mean I can't still help them through my entrepreneurial failures to help them live a better life. And it's not yeah. always through money. Like money's just one avenue and it's not everything. It's really, you know, how do we connect with people? Because every single day we get a chance to help someone in some way, whether we know it or not. Mm. And and that's a lot of just being willing to be vulnerable. You know, I can inspire people all day long, but if I don't inspire people through my own experiences and being honest about how I failed or the ways I fucked up, for lack of a better term, because that's how hard I am on myself. But how hard I am myself about messing up is something I can share with people because maybe they're going through it too. And, and your podcasts have, have touched on that a lot. Mm-hmm. And through food is another avenue of teaching it, in my opinion, mm-hmm. um, and concentrating it, but also giving the ability to share it. So what would I tell people? You know, dust yourself off, stick with it. It may have failed because of one way or another, but maybe it's just a way you need to look at it differently. And I can tell you in failures, there's a lot of lessons to be learned. And there's also a lot of ways, well, maybe I just didn't do it quite right. And that's okay. I just need to look at it differently, or I need to have a different partner, or I need to do this. And how do I do that? Hmm. And so it's great. We need to mourn things and go through that. A failure, you know, when you really put your heart and soul into something or someone, it's no different whether it's a business or it's a person. You got to mourn it for a little bit. Yeah. So, you know, a couple of days, don't get me wrong, but, and you may mourn for, for months depending on how it affected you or if you lost money or you, you went in, but a lot of entrepreneurs have their ups and downs. They could be super successful for seven years. And next thing you know, they're putting their own money into the business and, and leveraging it, uh, you know, and, you know, my father has done it on, on occasions. We've had ups and downs in the markets and hospital accounts go down or a large customer canceled their contract or stuck with $70,000 worth of food because yeah. someone said they were going to buy it, but they never came up with it. And, you know, you learn lessons from the things. Okay. Yeah. You know, guess what? From from now on, we're having guarantees. If we produce it for you, you're taking it. You yeah, know, yeah. you know that seems unfair because I'm taking advantage of someone else's, you know, hardship. But they need to learn the lesson too, not to overpromise something or, or over guarantee or, or over promote their business. As entrepreneurs, we get our heads in the cloud and we're cloud thinkers and we're big minded, you know, and 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 in our dreams, but. We need to be realistic and failure grounds us hmm. and brings us back to earth and says, hey, you know, I need to, to, to manage my expectations for myself and for everyone around me. I don't need to hire too many employees. I hear this all the time. People think they're going to make it big. So they put the cart before the horse and hire all these employees and, and then go under and, and it just happens, hmm. you know, and that's hard, you know, and. And, uh, but as an entrepreneur, you have to be willing, what separates it is you have to be willing to do more than anyone else. And you have to be willing to lead by example. Yeah. You know, 
one of the things is if I'm going to ask someone to take out the trash, I got to be willing to take out the trash myself. That's where it starts. And if I see them doing it just because I'm paying them doesn't mean I can't stand next to them and take out the trash or help them, you know, and too often people get in businesses and this is anyone in business, not just entrepreneurs is that if you're going to ask your employees to do something, you know, the best way to lead is by example and go do it yourself alongside of them every once in a while. See what they're experiencing because management and being able to lead and manage people is is understanding where they're coming from. And you cannot ever understand it unless you go through it yourself. Hmm. You know, and that's why this podcast is so great for me because there's plenty of things that I have experience in that people can relate to, but there's a lot of things I have no experience in or can't relate to because it didn't happen to me. And it would be fake and false to pretend that I did, you know? So there's other people out there that can share their experiences and have authenticity and, and people can connect to that, at least in my opinion. <clears throat> wow, that's, that's great. So uh, you're going to be creating a, a website and uh, that's going to be coming and ways to connect with you via email and uh, through um, uh, a Facebook page. Um, all of these things are going to be coming around here shortly, and we'll actually have some links of those uh, in the show notes here. You can click on the show notes, and all of that information will be there as well. Um, because we want we want you guys out in podcast land to contact to contact us to contact Justin. We want to hear your stories. These are the things that are changing people's lives. Is stories. I mean. If this is all we have in life, I mean, if we create all of this and at the end of the life, we don't leave a legacy. If we don't, if we don't tell each other the stories, if we don't learn from each other, then we have nothing. And I think that's exactly what Justin is doing here. And it's mm. incredible. Which brings me to a question for you, Mark. Yeah, hit me. I, I noticed that you eat fairly clean all the time. And by clean, I mean <laughs> so clean label. Most of, most most of, most of the, the time. time. We all got to have a little bit of bad habits here. And that's what makes it fun and worthwhile to eat clean. You got to have some enjoyment, but what changed your mindset to change the way you eat? That's a deep question. Um, well, we've got time. We're still recording here. So. <laughs> uh, th th there's a quote uh, that comes to mind and I, I, I don't, I don't know if this is just a saying or if this is a, somebody said this a long time ago, but it's until the pain of remaining the same overcomes the pain of change, you'll always remain the same. And that's what it was for me. Like the, the pain of change was too great. It, it, it hurt too much to change my life. I was like, I, I really made the big change. I, I went through a divorce in 20, 2014 and I, I was unhappy in every aspect of life. Um, and when you have um, one of the facets in your life that is bleeding toxic waste into your life it goes into all the other parts of your life and so just because my nutrition wasn't on it didn't didn't mean i have an issue with nutrition that was i uh, th that was a solution to the problem food was the solution to the problems in my life and so i fed myself in order to get over issues and i ballooned up <laughs> i was a fatty oh man that was huge um but i changed I changed my nutrition because the pain was too great. And then also because when you begin to change the deep aspects of your life, I mean, like I didn't need a, 
I didn't need to change my nutrition. I needed to change my life. And so when I began to change the deep rooted issues to get on track nutritionally, it was actually easy. That was yeah. easier. That like, like a lot of people are like, Oh, you have an alcohol problem. No, alcohol is the solution to a deep rooted problem. Exactly. We don't need to treat the alcohol. We need to treat the, the problem. Yeah. And so that's, that's what it was for me. I, I didn't like who I was. And when I began to love myself, nutrition followed suit. Yeah. And so now I, it's just a part of my life. I know I can, uh, I can actually totally relate to that. I, uh, even with successes in food and a, a good life that everyone from the outside saw my life as good. My, uh, my personal life was a disaster for years and I didn't love myself because of it. And I still went on and, and tried to do the best thing, but you can only be of service to other people when you love yourself and, and can pass that on. You have to love yourself. And you know, something that since I've, changed my eating habits over the years that I've learned um, just from being in food and around dietitians and nutritionists all the time, it kind of sunk in finally, um, is that it's the most basic way we can start to take care of ourselves. Hmm. And, and there's a lot of things that just eating clean and healthy can do for us, which is the other reason I, I like promoting locally sourced and, and sustainably grown products. Now in our business, we're trying to get there. Uh, it's a long transition because yeah. we grow, we have such volumes, but if we demand it and our customers demand it, that's, that's good. But on an individual level, for me, I never ate right. And, and when I was trying to, to go on a diet to be counting calories, which is just, you know, we tie ourselves to calories and while they do matter some, really it's about what are we eating in those calories? Yeah. And so how do we do that? And as human beings, you know, that's up to the individual and then how it fits in for them. Uh, that's my answer. But there's a solution for everyone. It's just got to be your solution, yeah. you know. And uh, for me, it started with food and exercise and, and CrossFit became a huge part of my life. And, um, and it transitioned me. And, you know, now failures aren't as hard as they used to be. You know, even as an entrepreneur and learning from them, um, there's a lot of lessons we learn just from eating properly. It gives you a purpose. Yeah. And purpose is huge. And so the the entrepreneur that's fearful of moving forward to take it full circle, you know, you believe in yourself. You can be an inspiration to the people around you. But you can also start at the most basic form to start believing in yourself to get over that fear. Yeah. And again, for me, food is the key to so much for so many people. Yeah. Whether you're an entrepreneur or not, it's um it's kind of amazing. Yeah. And yeah. I've seen a lot of people over the most recent years transition their life through food. I mean, you're one of them. Yeah. You yeah. know, it 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 goes on in my household. It it's a beautiful thing and there's a lot of, if done properly, it can be healthy. Yeah. You know, um, I wouldn't go to extremes right away. I would ease your way into anything if anyone's out there and wanting to change their, their eating habits. Slow changes, baby Slow steps. changes, <laughs> yes. Because if you try to do too too much too fast, it's failure. It's the same with the entrepreneur that's afraid. You don't baby want the steps. pendulum to swing. You yeah. don't want that pendulum to swing. You want yeah. it to gradually make yeah. change. I, you know, and I know in movies, they're like, okay, I'm going to do this. I'm going in today and quitting my job and becoming an entrepreneur. 
do not do that. <laughs> you know, just, you know, figure it out. I mean, yeah. a lot of entrepreneurs go take their jobs and save up enough money to go be an entrepreneur. And people don't see that. They see that they just quit their job and became an entrepreneur. You know, a lot of people, they paint houses or take second jobs to save up enough money to live their dreams, you know, and as young people, we tend to jump, jump jobs rapidly. Yeah. You know, you know, that's, you're not really investing in anything per se, but you're really not investing in yourself either. So in order to be an entrepreneur, take the the steps where it doesn't have to be a failure up front before you launch into it, build your idea, write a business plan, figure out ways to save money before you get into it, you know, take extra jobs, learn from other entrepreneurs. You know, if I'm in an office job and I work for a corporation, that's awesome. Like, right. But I have this idea. Okay. Maybe I go on weekends and find an entrepreneur in food, whether it's a guy who owns a restaurant and I just go work there. Yeah. And, and because for me, I learned a lot from my father, no doubt. And I learned a lot from the people around me and working with them also, and then from my own mistakes. Uh, but a lot of it happens to be working with people and, and be willing and open to listen. Yeah. And not only that, be willing to take someone's phone number and say, hey, can I call you and bounce off ideas? I am so curious about what it is, you know, we, you know, entrepreneurs or people that want to be entrepreneurs are like, how did you make the money? No, that's not the right question. Mm. The question is, why did you do it? Mm. The question is, you know, how has it affected you? The question is, what are the sacrifices you've had to make to get here? The question behind the question. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, the money is, is what we see, but all the effort and the hardship and, and the reasons why, people do it is is there and you know i don't have the answers honestly still i just every day is a learning lesson for me and i have an open mind and it's taken me a long time to get there because when you're a young kid and even where i was i wasn't as able to listen you know Mm -hmm. i you know so i think i think if there's any one thing i could tell um individuals that are trying to launch something as an entrepreneur or just in life general, um, is to pay attention to the small things because I have a quote on, on my wall that says, how you do anything is how you do everything. And if you're trying to launch a business and focusing all these things, but your nutrition is not on track and you're not being a good human to uh, your family or to your friends, if you're neglecting people, like these are the things, everything is connected. And if you want, if you want to be... Uh, somebody, a good steward of a business, be a good steward of yourself, be a good steward of your nutrition, be a good steward of all of these things, because how you do anything is how you do everything. And when you begin to pay attention to the small details in your life, like literally, like if you can get your nutrition on track, you'll be, you'll be surprised how that bleeds into the other parts of your life. Agreed. And so do everything how you want to do your business. Yeah, exactly. And and people see it, really. You know, people are like, don't judge a book by its cover, but the way you handle yourself mm-hmm. is the way you're going to handle your business. So, like, if you're not ready or you're afraid, you need to see what you're afraid of and you need to attend to that because it's more than just failure. It's why you're afraid of failing, mm. you know? And, you know, you taking a risk and jumping in, you know, you want to figure out what your risk is when you do it. But, 
if you have an idea that you think is well, start playing with it. I mean, yeah. lots of people start in their kitchen cooking and doing stuff and still hold other jobs. Yeah. Lots of people go out in the world and 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 do things to gain expertise in it or a better understanding in in something similar before they do it themselves. Yeah. And in food, it's everywhere. I mean, there's plenty of entrepreneurs. There's the restaurant owner. There's the food truck. There's the blogger. There's the the marketing company. There's the production company. There's the you know broker. There's the grocery store person at the deli. You know, all these people have experience in selling food or marketing food or, mm-hmm. or some experience in food that could be valuable. It's just whether or not you're willing to go do it. So I, you know, you don't be afraid of what you're going to do. Be afraid that you're not going out there and talking to enough people that you're going to earn. You got to be willing to be vulnerable and say, I don't know. Mm. Can you please tell me about your experience? Which is the podcast again is if I can help people with that, but that doesn't stop people from needing to ask questions that apply to them because no one's ever going to answer all the questions for any individual. Yeah. There's going to be learning lessons in it, but there's also, you got to be willing to ask for help. And everyone thinks, oh, the entrepreneurs, and they lead the company, and they're the greatest thing ever. No, they have a board of directors. They have advisors. They have mentors. These people just didn't come out of nowhere. You know, they had to learn, and they had to ask questions, and they had to be so vulnerable and, and admit they didn't know. And it, even with that, some they still make mistakes, but you've got to be willing to learn from other people too. So as much as I say give and, and, and give and be willing to give, great. But I've also got to be willing to receive. Mm, and I've yeah. got to be open to receive. And I've got to not have any walls. I've just got to let it in. And, you know, I have to practice it every day. I am not an expert in any of these things. <laughs> yeah, definitely. You know, I am a human being with imperfections all day long. And my ego sometimes can get the better of me. And that's just a part of life. You just got to start recognizing it and and recognize when you need help and recognize that you can't do it on your own, even as an entrepreneur, because you will burn out. Yep. You will. And you've got to inspire the people around you and lead also. And again, that goes back to people see it. If you live it in your everyday life, it's easier for people to get behind you. And I still have to try to live that every day. It's still an everyday thing, you know? So, yeah. The podcast is called Justin and the Entrepreneurs, and you can you can find it on Podbean or on iTunes. Search it. It's going to be incredible. Keep your eyes peeled for the Facebook and the Instagram and the webpage coming. All that information will be in the show notes as well as a link to his page, uh, his podcast page. It's all going to be there. Um, uh, what do you want to say? Last things, wrap it up. Well, I want to thank you, Mark. But oh, yeah. I also want everyone to know that after this podcast is done, I'm going to ask Mark for feedback on, on the way <laughs> I've handled it because he has experience already more than I have. So I want to know. And I've got to have thick skin and be willing to see that this will help me grow. So I thank Mark. Thank you for having me and, oh, and supporting my ideas. And I'm so uh, excited for this podcast. <laughs> oh, man. It's it's going to be so great. The people that, that we're going to meet... The stories that we're going to hear, that's that's really what it's all about. Yeah. And just so everyone knows, I have fears too, but, and I'm, and I know that I'm not great at it, but I do know that if I work at it and I take one step at a time and I get over my fears and, and willing to listen, that I can make this successful and it's going to take time. And everyone in the world isn't going to hear the message right away. I just got to be willing to keep trying and uh, 
thank you guys for listening and thank you mark i am pumped i'm so pumped or should i say i'm really fucking pumped (laughs) because that's really what i'm saying inside i'm I'm really like a little kid jumping for joy inside but uh it's exciting because we have the opportunity to affect change yeah and that's that's really what this is all about so thank you cool man So, dude, it's good to have you on here, man. Yeah, I've uh, I've never done a podcast before, so yeah. Why don't you introduce yourself a little bit? Because I want uh, want all the millions and millions of people that listen to this podcast to know <laughs> exactly who you are. So, uh, my name is Nick Riggin. I live in Littleton, Colorado, and um, that's that's me. Yeah. <laughs> Woo! Quite quite the introduction. Dang it. I uh, like like I said I've I've never been on a I've never done one of these before so I don't really know how to introduce myself but uh so how old call are you? me No Toes Nick 26 N- No Toes Nick 26 <laughs> you know it's catchy it's really catchy Yeah I had a lovely high school experience with that so I'm No Toes Nick No Toes Nick I I think we have to hear the story about No Toes Nick <laughs> Uh, so 2016, uh, just kidding. I was 16. This happened in 08. Um, I was in a motorcycle accident. Uh, I had literally wanted to race motocross for my whole life. Yeah. Let's back up a little bit. Let's back up just a tiny bit before that. Like, uh, so you were 16 years old. Uh, were you here in Colorado? No, this was in Arkansas. Okay. So, So you grew up in Arkansas originally. Yeah. I was originally from California. Um, parents got divorced and my mom and stepdad moved to Arkansas when I was two. Um, my dad and his partner moved to Denver. Um, it was the closest city, um, that they wanted to live in with a one-way flight. So I kind of bounced back and forth between Arkansas and Colorado from two until graduating high school. Okay. And after high school, I just moved here. I just screw it. I Arkansas is great to visit. So you graduated high school and then you came here to Colorado? Yeah. Okay. Yep. Do you have any other family here? Not anymore. Um, my dad ended up moving out to California. So he moved three, two or three years ago. Okay. Um, so no, it's just, just me. Hmm. So no blood family anyways. No blood family. We, we family. <laughs> we family, bro. <laughs> <laughs> We're also drinking Coors Lights right now because what better way to share stories and podcasts? I mean, it's good old Rocky Mountain piss water. May as well drink so, it in Denver. <laughs> so if this story gets better and better as the night goes, that's just because <laughs> we're getting more drunk and drunk <laughs> as the night goes. The uh, Yeah, a good sign for that is my accent will start coming out. Um, so that'll be a good Like an thing. Arkansas accent? Yeah, oh yeah, it'll come out. Like, oh dude, I done gosh. tell you what, man. Last time I talked about this story, dude. We, uh, yeah, it'll, it'll, it'll oh happen. <laughs> Every time I talk to people, they're like, oh, you're from Arkansas. Yeah. I don't hear it. Oh, you Just will. wait. <laughs> comes out. Oh, you will. <laughs> don't worry. Oh, that's awesome. So you came out here right after high school. Yeah. Um, so that was, um, like 2009, 2010 then? 2010. 2010. Um, so you, how, how old were you when you started racing the motocross? I was 16. Uh, when I got my first bike. Okay. Two days later is when I ripped out my toes. 
Hold on a second. You got. I got to hear this story. So, so set it up really good for me. Set it up really good. All right. Uh, childhood dream to start to race bikes. Yep. Uh, I mean, I would see it on TV. So I guess you could say a professional level was was obviously the the end goal. But I always just was competitive growing up, um, and I always gravitated towards motorcycles. Hmm. I would always watch on TV all the outdoor nationals and the supercross whenever it was on. And, you know, I'd always watch all that. And I was like, fired up. And I would take my pedal bike outside and build dirt jumps in the woods and, oh, man. you know, wreck myself constantly. And, <laughs> uh, I, I would just, I would in a sense make tracks at the house for my, uh, my little pedal bike. And Jeez. I went through a lot of bikes. But uh, so growing up, that was, I, I was that kid who was always, hurting himself and falling out of trees and uh you know were you accident prone or were you just daring i was daring or were you both <laughs> uh, yeah, we'll go with both yeah we'll go with both um yeah i mean my dad got me on a snowboard when i was eight uh out in arkansas no 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 I'm that was here, here. okay here. yeah 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 that was here got uh into skateboarding because of snowboarding um got really good with that, I was, I mean, I didn't have anything else to do in Arkansas. So I um, uh, skateboarded year round, snowboarded in the winter uh, when I would visit. Um, but Are you still a skateboarder? <laughs> not anymore, no. Uh, you're, not like one of those, you're not like one of those grown men that <laughs> wish that all, they always live their glory days by riding around in their emo clothes and you're like, Bro, you're you're 26. Come on. <laughs> yeah. Nah, um, I got out of it because it. I got bored. Like there was really only so much that uh, I could do in Arkansas. I mean, there's really the skateboarding. What is there to do in Arkansas? Um, a lot of drugs. <laughs> a lot. A, <laughs> a lot, lot of drugs. drugs. A lot. A, a lot of drugs. Oh, there's man. a lot of meth. Um, tons of meth, actually. Um, there's a lot of alcohol, uh, and, and there's, a, there's, you can pretty much do whatever you want. I mean, small town living, like it's, you know, um, you go party down the river if you want to, you got all the lake stuff in the summertime, um, uh, great hunting, great fishing, um, you know, the typical like bonfire in the cornfield type thing, uh, uh, all the off-road stuff. Um, I mean, it's, it's literally like anything, anything you want to do. When wintertime hits, it sucks. It sucks real bad because it's humid cold, so it hurts. Oh, yeah. That's so, Michigan, too. Like, summertime, it hits you in the face. The heat does. In the wintertime, it also hits you in the face. Yeah. So, so <laughs> you, like, you're like ninety, Like, 91 in Michigan is like you're dying. You're dying of heat. Like here, it was like 95 and I was wearing pants and I was okay. Yeah. But like in Michigan, it's probably a lot like Arkansas. If it hits like 90 degrees, it's just like you're, you're dying of heat. It sucks. Oh, yeah. And then it's the same when it gets cold because it just it hits your face and like bites. It hurts. Yep, the wind bites your face. Remember, we, uh, we were uh, visiting family back home and uh, the temperature was like 102 Oh. Uh, with 98% humidity. And I remember <laughs> opening the door at seven o'clock in the morning 
hit in the face with the heat and was like, fuck that. I'm going to wait till it's dark out. I'm going to go back inside. <laughs> and, I'm going to go back to sleep and wait until it gets cold. It was like Mordor outside. Oh, my just, gosh. Just sucked. But anyways, it was growing up, I was action sport all the way, everything. Hmm. Like, I didn't play team sports. Um, I was never good at team sports. Um, so I always gravitated towards more of the action sports action sports stuff and skateboarding was easy because I could do it by myself. It was fairly inexpensive and, um, it kept me preoccupied. Um, all of the, uh, all of the bike stuff, you know, I could build trails all I wanted at the house and I didn't need anybody for that. So I did that. Um, but I always wanted to race motocross. Hmm. None of my friends did it. I didn't know anybody who did it, but I just always wanted to do it. So finally, when I turned 16, I, I was able to talk my parents into getting a bike. Were you raised religious? Just a side note. Um, not heavily. Not heavily. I was raised uh, Southern Baptist um, primarily, but it kind of gave me a bad taste because I didn't like the old guy yelling at me all the time. <laughs> you know, <laughs> just really didn't. And everyone smelled weird when I'd go into church. So like from a what? young, yeah, it's just a bunch of old people, man. Was, I don't know. Just, I guess you're in Arkansas. It's just a different world over there. It's like there. a moldy nursing home. I don't know. It just smelled weird. I didn't like it. And so my, my faith was always there. But I was never one who enjoyed going to church. Mm. Uh, part of it was my parents, you know, they were like, we're going no matter what. Like, all right. So I kind of, in a sense, resented going after mm. a while. Yeah. Um, but I always had a strong faith. I always believed in Jesus. I always, I, that's just, it didn't take any convincing. I got baptized twice because when I got baptized the first time, I didn't really know what was going on. Um, How old were you when you got baptized the first time? First time, I think it was nine or ten. And it was like, this is just what you do. Sure. Um, and then after my accident, um, I wanted to get baptized again on my own um, because. Well, let's let's hear that story. So t- t- take to, me through that, and take me take me through the story, and and take me through the reasons why it means like this. This story is kind of like a, a seam in in your book, a, a, like a, a a fold in the page to where you come back to. So this this was the turning point where. Um, my life flipped upside down and it was like, it it wasn't necessarily a do over, but it was, uh, it was definitely a second chance. Hmm. Um, so I ended up talking my parents into letting me get a bike. Turns out it wasn't the right bike anyway. So, um, that kind of worked out, but it was more of a, like a trail bike, but I didn't, I didn't know. I just give me two wheels. Sure. It's a bike. Yeah. And I think we were going to go. My buddy and I, um, he, he ended up getting one too, a little bit before me and his family raced, uh, dirt tracks, dirt cars and and all that. So, I mean, he grew up around motors and four wheelers and racing and he ended up getting a bike. So him and I were going to go to a, a friend's house down the road and we had, uh, trails on the road, off the road, on the road, off the road. It was, he lived in the middle of nowhere and there was there was houses all along the back road and everything, but one of his friends lived, uh, up the ways a bit. And so we were going to go to his place and come back and then load the bikes up and, and go ride. So it's like nine o'clock in the morning. This was, it was a Sunday. Uh, 
first weekend of spring break. Hmm. And I was all jazzed up. It's like, you know, just second day. Wanted this thing forever. And, I and this was in Arkansas. This is in Arkansas. And so it's just getting warm. Just getting warm. It's it's nice. It's uh, it's the two weeks at the beginning of the year that it's like tolerable out. Yeah. Um, and so, so we load up. We go. He's my my buddy's in front of me, and we're on the road, off the road, on the road, off the road, and I end up, um, I end up getting too close to a tree, and compressed my foot in between the tree and the frame of the bike, and the foot peg went in my foot. And ripped everything out. Whoa! whoa, whoa, whoa. So hold on, hold on, hold on. How hold the on. foot so, pegs so you, work? So, so you were riding, yeah. And you, you, I'm guessing you were kind of like bobbing back and forth in between trees. Yeah. So we were going on the road, off the road, on the road, off the road, and and when I was off the road, there was just a set of trees that we kind of went, just we got close to, and I ended up getting too close to it, and it comp- and I, I wasn't backtracking a little bit i wasn't wearing any riding gear this was literally a five ten minute trip down the street and back like holy this was, cow we're gonna be and and i think not wearing riding gear actually saved my whole leg um Jeez. so we i hit this tree and i don't see it at first um i just felt instant pressure like i had broken something i had i've had multiple fractures and i've never actually well it's funny i've never actually broken anything i've just ripped it out <laughs> so i can't really compare it but um from people that i've Did, talked to that who have like broken arms or broken legs or yeah. whatever before they actually see it it's a lot of just massive pressure did it happen really fast yeah i think i was third gear pinned oh geez um so it it knocked me pretty good it didn't knock me off the bike it just jolted me pretty hard and instantly yeah. i was like oh something's wrong something something's really wrong and um so i get back on the road and then I see this this house, and I pull into their front yard. Wait, you kept riding? Yeah, it didn't knock me off. It it just kind of jarred me a little bit, and I regained you knew my something balance. was wrong. Yeah, I knew something was wrong. Did you shift? Oh wait, that no. would be with your other foot. No, that was the foot that I blew. That up. was the fit. But, was, so I just pulled in the clutch, and just okay, came, just came to a stop. Um, I came to a stop in uh, this person's yard, and that's when I looked down, and it was. Uh, no, it was not a broken ankle. Um, if, uh, if any of you listeners are going to be a little gored out, plug your ears. Um, <laughs> my big toe was hanging out of my shoe by a piece of skin. There was oh. no bone. The best way I could describe it was a shot glass. Oh, It looked like a shot glass. It was gross. Um, the toe next to that was skinned um, and kind of in like a weird shape. The toe next to that was all sorts of like Z, like a Z shape. Um, and, uh, and there was tree inside my foot where I hit the tree. Oh my gosh. Um, severed an artery. And cause by the time I stopped and looked down, there was already a pretty good sized puddle of blood underneath me. Holy and then there was, cow. there was a, a like, like if you turned a faucet on, there was a red trail from me to the road over the road. And then you could see the tree where I hit from where I, where I was stopped. And there was a big hole in the tree, which is, yeah. which is pretty. And I'll get back to that. But uh, you could see where I hit instant blood from point of impact all the way to where I stopped. 
And this is where now it, the best way I could describe it, there was no pressure, but it was all the pain in the world. It was so the pain was it, it, substantial. Really? Because I've unreal. I've heard two things. Um, I've heard a couple of different things. I've heard people that have had um, you know traumas like that that kind of go into a shock and their body takes over and they don't really feel any pain right away. But you did. My body was like, yeah, we're not going to take over. We're just gonna we're gonna let you have it. Wow. <laughs> and it was. Uh, it, the best way I could describe it was just get a lighter and hold it up to whatever piece of part of your body you want and just oh. hold it there. That's that's the best way I could describe it. It was fire. Um, it, I don't know how else to describe it. I mean, it was just, it, it sucked. <laughs> wow. And um, then I just, I started grunting. Like, ugh. <laughs> like I, I couldn't talk, I, I couldn't cry. I just, uh, just almost uncontrollable. Just, just uncon- yeah, exactly, uncontrollable. And wow. this is let me remind you, this is a Sunday morning in the South. Where's everybody at? Everybody's at church. Everybody's at church. I'm bleeding out in someone's front yard at nine o'clock in the morning. And this is 2008, on. so you probably don't have like a cell phone on you. Or oh, I had that Nokia flip did. phone that could yeah. withstand oh. <laughs> a nuclear explosion. Did you have the the, the razor? <laughs> no, I never had the razor. I always wanted it. Always wanted the razor. I thought it was so oh, cool. Oh man, that was that was like the cool phone to have. Sorry, that was a tangent. That's what, <laughs> that's, what that's called. And this the family actually was home. They ended up being home, and they came outside, and I at that point. I was gushing oh. a pretty good amount. So, Did you knew that? I mean, potentially, that can be a dangerous situation if you're bleeding that much. I mean, did, did you have enough like head on your shoulders to know, like, I need to stop this bleeding? No, um, I didn't because the next thing I know, I'm off my bike and I'm on their porch. So I had blacked out oh. um, from, I assume, blood the loss pain. and pain and, yeah, and all of the that. Shock. And... Um, so, I, I'm so, on. So the, how much how much time has passed from the time you? I don't know. You have you don't know. I, I I think by the time they had found by the time I hit the tree, ended up in their front yard, grunting like a pig, to on their porch. I think it was like five minutes, ten minutes. I don't know. It was pretty quick. It seemed quick. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I, I kind of come to, uh, with, they had my foot all wrapped up in towels and everything and, and they're talking to me and I can't really talk very well. I'm, I'm trying to, but just nothing's really coming out that sure. great. And then I kind of doze off again and then I, I feel them carrying me into their truck because the, if the ambulance would have came, I would have been, it was just taking too long. It would have taken way too long. Huh. Um, and so I'm in their truck, and uh, I'm pretty calm. I'm getting pretty cold, uh, like pins and needle feeling, like your arms asleep, but kind of like all over, um, which I thought was interesting. And so they, they gave me their phone. They told me to call my parents, and I, I was so afraid to call my dad. <laughs> <laughs> And this was oh, on my man. mom's birthday. The fear is so real. This was on my mom's birthday. Oh, man. And she was flying to Oregon to see family. And so I, I was like, 
I I just you know what? Take me. I don't want to talk to my parents. <laughs> like uh, I don't want to do it. And uh, my dad, the the fear is so real in every in every kid's life. They beg and beg and beg their parents for something, and then two days later, <laughs> after getting it, destroy themselves. The fear is so real. That's that, that's just like uh, you'll shoot your eye out. That kid, yeah, uh, Ralphie, yeah, that gets Ralphie. the BB gun and shoots his eye out. Yep. <laughs> oh no. Um, so I call my dad and he's fishing with his best friend on the lake. Oh my And I, I remember calling him and being super nonchalant. I remember calling him and be like, Hey dad. Yeah. So, uh, Hey pops. (laughs) I, uh, I had an accident. Everything's cool. You catch any fish? Oh, by the way, have no foot. How's the bass season coming? That's kind of how it went. I remember calling him and was just like, Hey dad, I, uh, I got an accident, but don't worry. Um, and this doesn't make sense to me. Don't worry. Don't worry. I'm on my way to the hospital right now. Um, I'm in a truck. I'm safe and sound. What happened? What happened? Well, I hit a tree and, um, um, I, I kind of messed up my foot. Um, but you know, don't no rush. I'm on my way to the hospital. All is good. Oh yeah. I'll be right there. Click. I'm like, ah, shit. (laughs) <laughs> damn it i'm gonna be in so much trouble oh and uh, and then i st- i really start like like bobbing head and you know kind of like oh, oh boy this is this is the tingling started to get increased and i was like oh we gotta hurry <laughs> and, <laughs> and and so um coming close here lady yeah yeah you better and, step on it <laughs> so we get to the hospital they pick me up uh, out of, carry me out of the truck and I get into the hospital room and, um, the doctors rush over and, and they told me, they were like, you have lost so much blood. Like, if you would have gotten here actually now, I mean, I, you, you need to go into surgery now. Like you are, you're, you're in bad shape and, uh, instantly go to the emergency room. Um, they don't have an orthopedic surgeon on hand, which was frustrating. Um, so they ended up flying me out to Springfield, Missouri via helicopter. And was that the first time you've ever had a helicopter ride? It was dope. And on that much drugs, it was probably so dope. Oh man. So before the helicopter ride, they had to numb me up. Yeah, sure. Well, they had to give me a, they had to give me three shot, three or four shots in my foot. Yeah. Um, which was equal or worse than the actual accident itself. Oh, jeez. Um, and I, I remember watching him do it, and uh, that sucked. Oh man! Because <laughs> I mean, it, you just—it's like you, you watched you watched the needles go in for a second. Oh uh, god, I can't do that. And I, I watched can't. one it's, of them. It's so funny. Like I've been through like wilderness uh, training, uh, uh, like uh, first responder training. Like I could give an IV or do like field suturing if I needed, but I can't watch a needle go in. Like I, even like <laughs> <laughs> I'm such a sissy. Like I can't even. I can't even watch like uh, like a vaccine. Oh no. I'm like that. I uh, uh-uh. I, I start. I like start to get all all woozy. <laughs> <laughs> oh no. <laughs> But my dad was there by then. He he ended up making. I don't know how he like t- teleported. Wow! Because they were in the middle of the lake and they got there too. So you know, time like time was off for me. Yeah. Um. 
But I remember my dad sitting there, and I was holding his hand, and I almost broke his hand because of how bad those shots hurt. Oh, man. And so they numb me up, and they start pumping all sorts of drugs in me, get me into the helicopter, and load me up. We're flying. I am talking to the clouds. Those suckers are talking back. I'm getting, I'm getting pissed off at the... The nurse who's flying with me, because she thinks I'm talking to her, and she's interrupting my conversation with the clouds, and I'm like, yo, you got to stop. Like, we're in <laughs> <laughs> these clouds. We're, we're having some serious talk. So I got all pissed off at the uh, at the nurse, and I, I hope I apologize. I probably didn't. but If she's listening, you want to give her a quick shout-out? I'm sorry if I, <laughs> I hurt, <laughs> hurt your feelings. Foot nurse. Yeah, your foot nurse. I'm sure you're great. Um, but uh, so... Me being 16, they had to wait for my family to get to the hospital. Oh, man. Well, that was uh, about a two-hour drive from where we departed from. Well, helicopter ride, that was 30 minutes. Sure. Um, so when I get there, I have to wait an hour and a half before <laughs> I can go into surgery. And so I, I remember um, we land, and they pull me out, and there's like, an entourage of doctors just waiting. And I'm trying to introduce myself to everybody. Because <laughs> you're a like, good guy. Like, hi, I'm, my name is Nick. And it's thank you for, for being here for me. And, and they were all kind of <laughs> looking at me weird. And so in my head, I'm thinking that. But it was probably like, you know, you can't talk very well. Sure. And so I, I remember just, just trying to talk to all these doctors. And none of them talked to me. I was like, whatever. Um and so they wheel me into this room, and uh, they're freaking out because I don't know what blood type I am. I don't even know if I have blood left in me. So um, end up uh, they, they contact my dad, and, and he ends up telling them. Um, so they start giving me, giving me blood, um, at least until the surgery and everything. And so they finally get there. My mom landed in Oregon, found out what happened. That was terrifying. Happy birthday, <laughs> Happy birthday, mom. Um, and uh, she flies back that day. Um, I end up going into surgery uh, that afternoon. Uh, I was in the hospital for a week. Was your mom, did she make, did she make it for the surgery? No. Uh-uh. She was there after. Okay. Uh, dad was there and our best, or really our family friend, Bill. Bill's a whole nother story. He's, uh, in my opinion, a walking angel. Uh, mm. Some of the things he's done for our family that has, you can't really explain it. Mm. Um, which, that's that. Yeah, that's that's a whole nother story. Um, but, uh, anyways, um, two or two surgeries. Uh, I was in the ICU for three days, a week total in the hospital. Um, I had, a, I think, like 100 stitches. I don't know how many staples. What? Yeah. Um, I mean, it was... Did it, they try to reconstruct anything? I mean, you can't reconstruct ground beef. Oh. <laughs> like, you can't. Oh. <laughs> so they were trying to just save what they could. Um, so how many how many toes were totally affected? And two and was, a half. This was on your left foot? Yep. Okay. Two and a half. So, so your um, big toe. Half my big toe... The toe next to it and the toe next to that. Um, so how many, wait, how many toes were affected? Two and a half. Okay. So two and a half toes, half my big toe and the two toes next to it, gone. 
Um, like how, like how, how gone? Like, so at the knuckle of my big toe, that's where my toe stops. Okay. And then there's a space <laughs> and then it's my ring toe and my pinky toe. Oh my gosh. <laughs> And for all of you that are really interested in this, I'm going to take a picture and put it in the show notes. Yeah, yeah. I'll take a little video. I can wiggle my big toe. It's, it's oh sweet. my gosh, that's so cool. Um, and so, but the whole time I was in the hospital, all I could talk about was I wanted to get back on my bike. I wanted to get back on my bike. That's all I wanted to do. I didn't see this as, you know, oh crap, I just pretty much died in someone's front yard and uh, probably shouldn't do this again. I was like, nah. No, nah, it's, it's all right. Physics and, and everything, uh, less toes, less weight. I should be able to go faster. <laughs> <laughs> that was my thought process. Oh, that's And funny. so I was in the hospital for a week total. Um, how close were you actually to, to not right, making it right there? Right there. It was, it was right there. Minutes. Yeah. It, wow. Yeah. It was, it was, it was right there. <laughs> wow. Um, so I'm out of the hospital, um, and I'm, I'm at my house uh, on the couch for two weeks with my foot elevated. Um, and then after that, uh, well, while, while my foot was elevated, cause we had to clean it and make sure that it, you know, wasn't going to get infected and everything like that. And so I was actually afraid to look at my foot for the longest time. Um, not, you know, expect, not knowing what to expect. Yeah. First time I saw it, I remember... Uh, my, my family doesn't really cuss a whole lot, but I remember they took off the wrapping of my foot and was like, Holy shit. <laughs> <laughs> what is that? <laughs> the foot looks like a porcupine. Oh, uh, all the stitches gosh. and everything sticking out of it. Look, literally looked like a, look like a porcupine. Wow. And, and so, um, got over that relatively quickly. Um, how long till you were back on your feet? So total from, Hitting the tree to back on my feet, I would say, was two months. Okay. That's not bad at all. So wasn't that bad? Well, I mean, I guess recovery time's quicker when you just rip things out instead of, <laughs> like, break them. Yeah, the bone know. doesn't have to heal back together. Yeah, there's nothing to heal. So, like, just pretty much a flesh wound at that point. Yeah. Um, Did you have to relearn how to walk? Was that weird? No. Um... Walking was fine, running was fine, but it was anything front loading. Hmm. Any uh, balance was kind of an issue. Hmm. Um, squats were, and anytime I would have any forward lean, I would be like all over the place because hmm. I, I had to relearn how to catch myself. Interesting. Um, but all I wanted to do was just get back on my bike, get back on my bike. When I got home from the hospital, my parents had sold it, and I was devastated oh just just devastating i i finally had like a little taste of it and then i go do this and then i get home from the hospital and you know it's gone and uh i don't know how i did it but i ended up talking him into letting me do it again i don't know how wow but somehow how long how long did it take um i think it took so after fully recovered was about two months um I think I was, I talked him back into it, I think probably like two months, three months later. Hmm. Um, I was, I was pretty persistent. And in between that time, I noticed all sorts of changes in myself. 
Um, mm. While I was in the hospital, my my relationship with God got a lot more clear. Um, I s- kind of stopped questioning things that most people just question. Mm. Like about what? Faith, you know, about, well, uh, you know, well, you know, the whole, I believe, but, you know, is it really true or... Uh, since you can't, you know, see him or anything, you know, is, it, is all the stories in the Bible, are they really true? Like all those questions for me, it just went away. Hmm. I didn't have any more. It was like, they were never there in the first place. Interesting. I guess you could say all skepticism just was like out the door. Hmm. Um, and then I started also noticing things I would take for granted heavily. Hmm. Um, I didn't realize that I used people a lot. Oh. Um, until this accident um, and, and going back to school and having just a completely different outlook on everybody instead of, you know, the whole high school clicky shenanigans that goes on. You know, I was I was, uh, you know, friends with everybody. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> my, my girl dog is humping your girl dog. <laughs> Kind of just sitting on her. <laughs> what is going on? Um, hey, Judge Free, go on. Do, you, I, do your thing, girls. Yeah, do whatever. Get um, So, yeah, everything changed. The way I viewed people, the way I viewed the world, the way I had mm. my the change in faith and, you know, God and religion. And um, I, I started feeling really bad about how I treated people. That I didn't even I didn't even realize it. Um, I had being a former skateboarder. I had long hair, and uh, you know I had that. Man, I can't. We're also going to post a picture of Nick <laughs> with with long hair. Mm-hmm. Oh, I, had, I had the whole nine yards. I had long hair. I had the skinny jeans. Oh man, see when I was, I had all of it. Oh man, see when, when I was I was all I was a skater back in the day, but it was when I was a skater, it wasn't skinny jeans, it was uh oh, what were those Billabong Jankos. That's what it was, Janko jeans. And it was oh. like the ones that were huge. Yep. They literally would go down to like to the ground and cover your shoes and then I also had the <laughs> chained wallet. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. That's the kind of skater that I was. I wasn't the skinny jeans. I was the Janko jeans. I was the skinny jeans. Uh Oh, I had a belt that was just bullet shells. My principal loved it. <laughs> um and you know, all the death metal uh shirts and that that was me. And after this accident, I for some reason like all of it just I got pretty clean cut. Um, I stopped. Uh, skateboarding really started to go out the door. Um, what do you think about the accident? What, what do you think it was that helped you turn this, helped you turn the corner, helped you turn a page in a sense? Like, like what was it that helped open your eyes? I mean, because the accident is just a catalyst. Yeah, the accident was a catalyst, but I think it was the whole experience of the accident and how... For me, it was everything can be going fine, and then in two seconds, it can be gone in an instant. Mm. Like, literally, if I, I went from everything's fine, I'm going to go ride this weekend, to if I don't get to the hospital in 10 minutes, I'm dead. Mm. Like, snap of the finger, gone. Wow. And for me, 
that came into into sight when I started realizing like relationships with people are so important because they can be gone in two seconds. Mm -hmm. Um, the way you impact people, it's going to have an effect on them. It could have an effect on them even when you're gone. Mm -hmm. And I realized how I was treating people. Not necessarily, not that I wasn't, you know, not that I was a bad person, but just being really unaware of myself Mm -hmm. and selfish. I didn't, I didn't see that until I was, you know, at the end and that just for me was a game changer so how is this so that happened in 2008 and it's been it's been a decade oh shit yeah it has (laughs) it's been it's been a decade since since this since this accident has happened since the in a sense like the the fold in the page of that chapter in your life has happened and you know it's easy to turn back to that time and look at all of the things that have happened and everything but how does that how does that play into your life now like how does that accident a decade ago still affecting what you do today um i've been putting people first since that day Hmm. instead of myself um i want like like i said i wanted to race motocross and so after the accident my balance was all screwed up um, I had to relearn different senses um, to be able to just to do normal things. And hmm. since this happened on my shifting foot, you kind of need toes to shift. So having to relearn different positionings and all of that, I, I needed a trainer. And this is kind of where everything, aside from the accident, where I had a big perception change, perspective change in things. Um, because I went in, you know, no one wanted me to get back on a bike. Family didn't want me to, friends didn't want me to, no one wanted me to, except for me. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to get a trainer so I could get in better riding shape. Um, so I asked my mom if I could get a trainer. She said, yeah, that's fine. So we go down to the, the local gym and I, I find a, a trainer. His, his name's Brett. He's, uh, he's a massive individual. But... He was, he was the trainer mm. at, at the local gym. And so I, I set, up a, set up a consultation and sat down with him. And, and I remember telling him, like, this is what I want to do. And he just said, yeah, let's do it. <laughs> and I was so conditioned to hearing no's from everybody that I didn't even really hear him say <laughs> yes. I just assumed he said no and ended up, like, almost walking out. <laughs> <laughs> and uh realized like no he's he actually said yes and so anyways i we sat back down again and um we made a game plan and he was there for me when you know no one else no one else really was he was like yeah let's get you race ready let's let's we can do this when everyone was you know no you shouldn't do this and mm-hmm. it's not a good idea and so um do you realized how you realized how empowering the yes was yeah hmm but also having him not be in my arena, I guess you could say. He was out of my line of scope. Mm. And this is someone that I didn't know. This is someone that didn't know me. Um, and so I, I took him taking me, you know, taking me on as, as like, wow. So I ended up, started training with him. Eight or nine months later, I won two state championships racing against non-amputees. Jeez, are you serious? Yes. Yeah. 
Now, that wasn't pro level or anything, but that was the very first race season I entered. I mm. raced uh, uh, novice, and I got up to B, which is intermediate, and then you have novice, intermediate, pro. I got up to B class, um, but this, this, this race was, uh, this series was, was C, and so I got first place in novice, and then I got first place in open um, for both championships, mm. and I hate being the first loser. <laughs> Like, I just, it just grinds my gears, I guess you could say. Um, <laughs> winning was great. Don't get me wrong. That was fun. But r- the impact that my trainer had on me is, was, was really another big turning event because he was there for me when really no one else was. And a couple of years went by, was working different jobs. I was here in Colorado, ended up moving back to Arkansas for a factory job. And it was, it was night shift. It sucked. Um, learned a lot, but it was just, it was, it was grueling. Um, Mm. and manufactured hoses for Boeing airplanes and John Deere tractors. Mm. So, I mean, it was interesting, but being stuck in a factory from 7 PM to 7 AM can kind of wear on you. So was this kind of the end of your, uh, of your racing days at that point? Then No, no, I was still riding as, uh, as much as I could. Um, I would still try and ride every weekend, um, and all of that. I, uh, but this was the, this was a turning point for really when I started giving back. Um, mm. I remember sitting down and was just like, you know, this, this, I got this, I gotta be doing something else. This isn't, this isn't it. And the only thing that, that kept hitting me was, well, maybe I should be a trainer because my trainer was there for me when no one else really was. Mm. And I want to be able to do the same thing for someone else. I'm going to be able to give to start giving back. And so I know that he had a degree in it. It's, he has a degree in exercise science, but I, I didn't know what his degree was, but I knew he had some sort of degree. So in a sense, I was just following his footsteps. Mm-hmm. Like, all right, well, I want to go back to college and, um, get a degree in, you know, I think I said, get a degree in personal training, which that's not really <laughs> a thing, but you know, I was just trying to go. That There's direction. so many people that just went like, <laughs> what? That's not a thing. (laughs) Yeah. No guys, that's not a thing. If someone ever told you that they're lying. Uh, (laughs) Certification Uh, and degree is kind of different. Uh, (laughs) But so yeah, I, I talked to my family and, and uh, they agreed that college was, was kind of the way to go. And so I ended up moving back out to Colorado and got a, uh, got into Metro, uh, Metro state university, downtown Denver. And is that because you're Metro? Fuck off. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, God, that's funny. Sorry. Continue, please. Um, And uh, I started out with uh, what was my first major? I've changed so many times. Uh, Well, so does everybody. I mean, athletic training. That's what it was. Thinking that that was the route to go, which it wasn't. Uh, so then I switched over to exercise science, uh, which, which was more of that route. And, um, it's like, awesome. Well, I'm on that track. Well, I should probably start looking into getting a job at a gym. Maybe that would be a smart idea. Um, so I get a job at fitness 19 and, um, fitness 19. I was a, I was the front desk guy. I was, I was a bitch boy. I was like doing whatever they told me to do. (laughs) Cleaning machines. I worked for this Nazi woman. 
I'm sorry if you're listening to this, but you were a Nazi. Um, <laughs> she was just like, you know, get on your hands and knees and just clean everything until it shines and clean it some more. And answer the phone. I, I just I did everything there, which was fine, but um, I wanted to be a trainer, and so I started talking to the trainers and uh, talking like, you know, this is what I'm doing I'm in school, and well, you know, you don't really need school for being a trainer. And I was like, oh, well, okay, what do I need? And they started talking about certifications, so I started doing research on certifications, and um, ended up getting uh, my Nesta PFT. Uh, just personal training, personal fitness trainer certification, um, and switched over to 24 hour fitness because that's what I knew. That's where I saw all of the big time trainers were at 24 hour. And I worked out there a lot with my dad. And, and so I, I ended up making a lot of friends there and I started getting to know some of the management company or the, the managers, um, got my certification and, and got hired on bottom level of the uh of the tier and everything i didn't care i just wanted to want to start i wanted to help yeah. people and the only way i knew how to help people was through fitness because that's what i was mm. shown and so i became a personal trainer to give back to people who you know maybe all the all the hope that they have was a trainer mm. saying that i can help you with your weight loss or i can help you with your sports performance or you know, whatever it might be, I wanted to be that person that was there for me, but mm-hmm. I wanted to be that for them. And so the whole accident was a big turning point in my life because I went from being a pretty selfish person looking back on it now to mm-hmm. all I want to do is help others. Mm-hmm. I see myself second, third, fourth, wherever I end up, but I'm, I put people before me now. Mm-hmm. And it's been like that ever since. Um, my relationship with with God, like I said, got flipped around too because I saw this as a second chance at life, and I wanted to make this half of it way better than the first half that I had. Let's hope this half is <laughs> longer than sixteen years. Well, you know, we're uh, <laughs> we're on the right track. Oh, that's funny. and and it's been well, grief. It's been a wild ride. Well, grief has a way of. Grief and tragedy and um, significant events in life have a way of opening our eyes in ways that we didn't, and opening our eyes to things that we didn't see before. Mm-hmm. Uh, to change our perspective is is an interesting thing, but when when that happens through tragedy or grief or mourning and those those big events. They they have a way of bringing to the surface the things that are most important in a mm-hmm. lot of ways. I also noticed too. I was not one to ask for help before. Can I get a bunch of people to say amen to that? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and now you know I, for instance, uh, I had a lot of baggage I would carry into relationships. And mm. figured I couldn't really handle it on my own anymore. So I ended up getting a therapist and fixing myself. And it, it was awesome. Mm. I don't think I would have done that <laughs> if, you know, the accident ever happened. Mm. Um, just things like that, that that have really started to stick out that I've noticed. Um, they've had a, a big impact on a lot of future stuff mm. since then that I've noticed too. So if you're going to take away a couple of things... And if you could 
fast track someone without them getting their toes ripped out. Yeah, don't do that. What would, what, what would you tell them? What would you say? A couple of the biggest takeaways, a couple of the biggest life lessons learned here, summarized. For literally, as, as cheesy as it sounds, literally, you got one life. You only live once. YOLO! <laughs> but you really do. You, you, you're here for a very short amount of time. Hmm. And don't waste it. Don't do not waste it. If if you have an opportunity to to better yourself or better others, take it. Mm. Make an impact for the better. Mm. Um, because no one's gonna remember you when you're gone. But if you've impacted people the right way, you'll be a, literally a, a legacy mm. of of good, heartful memories. Um, so. Humble yourself is another big one. You know, you might have talents. That's great. Help someone, help someone else shine. Mm. And then see how far your talents go. Mm. So put others before yourself. Don't be selfish. So are you glad? Am I glad what? That the, that the accident happened? I don't know if the glad is the word I want to use. Are you thankful that your toes got ripped out? when? They oh, died? yeah. Yeah, totally. If you were to backtrack, rewind, would you do anything different that day? No. no. Luna, out. Luna, out. God. No. I wouldn't do anything Hold different. On. So if you're going to backtrack and do that entire day over, I mean, you, like, you can literally orchestrate everything that day. Would you do anything different? No. So you'd get your you'd get your toes ripped out all over again. Yeah, I would. Because mm. the pain's not there anymore. And the lessons pain are. goes away. But everything that came with it—the life lessons, the uh, the people who I've impacted, um, where I'm going with life—like mm. it all stems from it. Mm. Pain is pain is short. Mm. It comes and it goes, and you can tolerate it at different levels, but how I've been able to structure my life since then um, has all been a result of the perspectives that I gained from the accident. Hmm. And I, I would, I wouldn't trade it. I just, I wouldn't trade it for anything. It's, it's made me who I am today and I'm a, a way better person than I was before it happened. Hmm. And That's... I mean, for my girlfriend, it makes a really cool, footrest if you look look, it's just like perfect oh my god one foot fits on the other one (laughs) yeah it fits right on the ankle so like it just it just sits there um but no uh, and on some funny stuff like i if i would go on a first date and i would tell them like hey by the way i'm missing a couple toes if they're like ew i'd be like awesome we're done we're done. You're out <laughs> so, of here. You know, I mean, it had its perks, you know, and if, uh, if I'd be on the beach or something, on, if I was on vacation on a beach and I'd walk out of the water and some little kid would be like, oh, there's a sea monster coming out of it because they'd see my footprints and they're all screwed up. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I've had, I had that happen a couple of uh, times. That was funny. So no, I mean, awesome. it's, it uh, made me who I, who I am. So I'm, I'm very thankful for it. Well, that's cool, man. I love your story. I love what, Love where it brought you. I, I've only known you for like, what, 
a month, maybe a month <laughs> yeah, and a half. <laughs> See, like it's it's always interesting when I meet when I meet these people because look, when I first met you, the like my first impressions were like, man, this is a guy who loves people. He who is passionate about what he does. Who is um, obviously been through some shit, but it, you know we all have in a sense. But it was obvious that you were intentional about being a person that wants to help people. And so like, I didn't know your story. I didn't know the the background. And I always find it so interesting. These, these stories that are behind the people that are so interesting to me. So dude, thank you so much yeah, for course. telling your story. I think, I think people are going to love this. I think they're going to love listening <laughs> to no toes, Nick. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No toes, Nick. I, uh, I have a tendency, though, I'm getting hurt on my mom's birthday. So, like, anytime her birthday rolls around, I kind of just take a day. <laughs> take a day off. <laughs> because when I, was, when I was five, I s- broke my face on a tree. Coincidentally, at a tree. Um, I was on a big <laughs> wheel. This is when we were in California, and I was on a big wheel. And uh, I thought I was, like, the coolest kid on the block because my big wheel had a trunk in it. <laughs> And so I remember, you know, California, they have those screwed up hills where they just, they're, they're super, super steep and they yep. put trees on them <laughs> and then it goes flat and then it's super, super steep and then, you know, trees and everything. So I was, when I was a kid, my mom was always chasing after me constantly everywhere. And I was on my big wheel and I was just pedaling along and I started going down this hill and I realized I was like, oh, I got my action figures in my hands. Like... I should probably put those in the trunk. So I'm going down the hill and I just take my hands off of the, the handlebars and I kind of like turn around and I try and put my Batman in the trunk and everything. And I turn back around and it's just like smack face first into a tree. <laughs> and I was hugging the tree. The way I can envision it is like the big wheels kind of on the side smoking and you know, like it's all totaled and, and I'm, Jeez. I'm hugging the tree and, and uh, my mom gets there and I am, out i'm out out and i remember i could hear her i couldn't i couldn't see her i couldn't talk but i could hear her freaking out and i could you know i'm being carried around and this is actually an out-of-body experience that i had which is pretty interesting interesting um so i remember what i remember is i'm on a i'm on where, where the cat scan is I, I got put in a cat scan to make sure i didn't like blow up my brain CAT scan or a CT? I don't know. Anyways, the big donut thing that they put you in and it's all like loud. (laughs) CT, yeah. CT. So I had one of those, I think. Something like that. Anyways, um, and I I remember there was a bunch of nurses standing on on both sides of me. And I was on on that table before they slide you in. Uh, And I remember I was like over myself. I was looking down, kind of at an angle, but I was looking down at myself. Someone was with me. I, I could never see it, but I was fixated on, I could feel their presence, but I, I was fixated on myself. And I saw the doctors or the nurses, and I saw me on this table. Um, and then right when they started to put, put me in the, the CT scan, it was, the, then I, I came to um, in, the, in the hospital a- after all of that. Hmm. Um, but... I broke my cheekbone. Um, yeah, I broke my cheekbone, and I had two black eyes. I looked like a raccoon, like <laughs> the, the opposite version of a raccoon. Um, 
And so, yeah, that was, uh, that was the start of it. So that was, that was also on my mom's birthday. So you take it easy on your mom's birthday now from here on out. I've broken the curse, but I still take it a little easy, (laughs) but the accident with the dirt bike, that tree died because insects got to it. Oh my gosh. And the tree died. And so, yeah, I, I, I lived that one. Interesting. <laughs> so, so, yeah, no toes, Nick. So, if you, if you could tell the entire world one thing, and they would hear you, they wouldn't just listen, but they would hear you. Oh, boy. What would you tell them? <laughs> the entire world. Little or big, cherish every moment. Mm. Simple. Just cherish it. Bad, good. Can't take it with you. Mm. And just, yeah, it it sounds cheesy and uh, not really that philosophical or anything, but just enjoy the simple things. Little things really do matter. And just cherish every moment. Love it. Thanks, bro. Of course.